Well, hey there, Heritage. It is great to be back with you, back in the teaching room. I want to welcome everybody across the network. I've been in and out for about a month or so, doing some investing around some other leadership responsibilities in the church, but also a little bit of travel. And it's really good to be back with you. The, the first part of our travel is actually to Ireland, where Beth and I took my great aunt and uncle on a bit of a bucket list trip. And it was just wonderful to build some memories and to go to some of our ancestral lands. And in fact, this picture right here is a picture of my aunt and I in front of the church that our family would have attended many, many, many years ago. It was just a really meaningful trip for us. And we came back, and we're here for a while, Beth preached, and then last week we took our oldest son Joshua to law school. And I've got to tell you, it is such a joy to see your kids live into their God-given giftings and a wiring and just super proud of Joshua and praying for him as he steps into this next season. And, you know, it was the first time we've been back to Pennsylvania since we came to the Quad Cities more than six years ago. And it was good to go back, but it's great to be back home here. And I'm, I'm glad to be with you. I'm, I'm, you know, thank you for your prayers as we were traveling and as we were taking some time away. Thank you for, you know, just thank you for being a church that's willing to chase the things of God, to be a people who pray. I'm, I'm truly grateful for that. And I'm also grateful for a ministry team that can hold down the fort when I'm not here. <laughs> it's great. We've got a great staff, gifted, talented, lots of abilities. In fact, the four folks that communicated when I wasn't here are a good example of that. They did a great job leading us through the journey to this point. But I gotta say, as excited as I am to step into leading us back into scripture in the teaching role today, it pales in comparison to the joy and excitement we had last night as we celebrated baptism at the river. It was a wonderful celebration. You know, it's one of my favorite times of the year to, to be present and to bear witness and have that privilege of seeing folks testify to being free to live in Jesus. And it was a privilege for us to see 93 people do that last night. And our worship arch team worked late into the night to prepare a bit of a celebration for us to continue to celebrate. And for those of you who weren't there to catch up a little bit and see what happened. So take a look at the screens.
get tired of celebrating life change, freedom in Jesus, life in Jesus. And so happy for the 93 people that stepped into that public declaration of that inward commitment to Christ. And if you're someone who, who follows Jesus, he's your Lord and Savior, but you've not yet stepped into the waters of baptism, I want to encourage you to, to connect with us to get scheduled into the next opportunity. Because that is a next step of obedience in the life of a believer. To, to go from that inward decision to that outward declaration, that baptism moment, it's powerful, it's meaningful, not only individually, but corporately. So if you haven't done that yet, fill out a communication card, talk to one of the leaders at your campus, but take that next step of obedience. It's, it's a wonderful moment. It's a powerful time of celebration, as I said. And we continue to celebrate with the folks that are leaning into that next season of obedience in their lives as they follow Jesus. As exciting as that is, that's not the only thing that we've been celebrating through the course of this summer. We also celebrate just the journey in the parables series. The parables of Jesus have been a, a really impactful journey for us as a church family. We've looked at a variety of parables, some popular, some unpopular, uh, some very familiar and some uh, a little less familiar, but all of them, all the parables are simple stories that take complex realities and present them in daily dynamics. They, they take uh, these deep spiritual truths and position them in simple stories for us to understand and, and allow the, the physical world to bear witness to the spiritual world. And they're really effective in teaching. It's one of the primary teaching styles of Jesus. But before we get into our parable today, I want to share something with you that, that a mentor friend of mine shared with me a long time ago. And, and he did it to help me to develop as a communicator. And I think it's relevant for somebody if they're going to preach or teach, but it's also for us as we study scripture on our own, as well as leaning more into the parables. And you can put this in your note guide in the box if you want to, but I just want you to understand the concept that anytime we engage with scripture or uh, anything that we're going to study or teach, we first start with a simplistic understanding of it. It's a cursory surface look at it. It's simplistic. So uh, it's really ultimately kind of shallow. We, we start with the simplistic on the surface. And the simplistic is fast. It's, it's something that we can do quick and easy. So we start with the simplistic, and that's okay. It's where everybody starts. But if we're really going to teach something well, if we're really going to understand it for ourselves well, we've got to do the hard work of getting to the complex. The, the complex is the space where we take the time to, to lean in and understand, and it is much slower because it takes time. It's slow, but it's not just slow. It's deep. It's, it's meaningful, it's significant. This is, a, this is a place we need to get to, to have understanding, but this is not the place to teach from. This is not the place that we can apply back to life. We actually need to do the work of getting back to a thing called simple. The simple. This is the space by which it's fast and it's deep. And when we're, whether you're preaching or whether you're teaching somewhere, whether you're just studying in scripture on your own, simplistic is where we start, complex is where we have to go, but we got to get to simple to be able to live it out. If you, if you read scripture once, you just read through a cursory, you get a good surface look at it, but you don't have the deeper understanding and the complexities tied to it. You got to spend time praying, you got to spend time sitting in it, meditating on it, reading commentaries and digging in in a study Bible but you can't stay here, you gotta move to simple. In some ways, you can consider this observe, this is interpret, and this is apply. People who stay here, it's fast, it's easy, but they don't have the understanding. People who stay here have the understanding, but they don't have the application. They rarely live it out in their life, it's just head knowledge. And, and, and this is something I actually try to do even when I preach. I try to move from the simplistic to the complex and get to the simple. I don't always refine it as much as I want to, but I'm grateful God still speaks and moves. 
And if you're studying scripture, don't stop here and don't stop here. Move to the place to apply. Now, beyond that, the reason I'm sharing this today is because it helps us understand and relate to the parables because parables are fast and deep. They're simple stories with deep spiritual truths. They're they're fast and deep. Simplistic is shallow and fast. Complex is slow and deep. Simple is fast and deep. And parables are fast and deep. And the parable we're looking at today is a really great example of that. In fact, it's probably an extreme example of this. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to grab it and turn to Luke 17. Luke chapter 17 is where we're going to land where we find the parable for today. Now, some have called this parable a mini parable or a micro parable. Uh, it's, it's just kind of this short little thing that pops up in a conversation. It's almost introduced casually, but you got to understand, again, parable was one of the primary forms of teaching for Jesus. He just wove it into what he did, and in the conversations, he would just drop these metaphors into the space, and, and they were casual, but they were meaning, and nearly or like a third of his recorded teachings are in the form of parable. And in this particular case, we we can find parables in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Ours is in Luke. It's in Luke 17. And this one is a mini. It's a micro. It's a shorty, if you will. But here's the thing. There's not a whole lot in it. But then there's not a whole lot talked about it. In fact, many scholarly resources, commentaries, even study Bibles just kind of cruise right through it. Just skip over it or, or give very little attention to it. So not only is it small and short, it doesn't have a whole lot around it that's said about it. But I'm going to say, in keeping with our commitment this summer in our series to do a variety of different parables, couldn't pass this one up. (laughs) Had to lean into this one, and I got to know if you're ready. Got to know if you're ready to tackle this, because I am, all right? So roll up your sleeves, spit in your hands, all right? Turn to somebody next to you, Bendorf, Kiwani, turn to somebody and say, are you ready? Just ask them, are you ready? And hopefully they said yes. So here we go. Let's get to this. Luke 17, you can follow in your own scripture. You can follow up here. Starting at verse 7. Suppose that one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Verse 8. Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Verse 9. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? Verse 10, so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Want me to read it again? (laughs) What are we going to do with the mini? What do we do with this? Listen, it's fast and deep. There's tons of stuff to dig out of this, so let's just get to it. So first, let's back up and understand context, because prior to this moment, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and he's talking about offenses, he's talking about forgiveness, and he's talking about faith. In in the context of saying, look, when somebody comes in repentance to us, we need to give forgiveness, and then do it over again, even repeatedly. And the disciples, as they're listening to that, go, wait a second, in order to do that, to repeatedly forgive somebody, is going to require faith. So they ask for it. And then out of that conversation, this parable flows out of that dynamic. And you can go back later and do your own study into the part before this. But as we settle into this parable, I want you to understand in the context that our duty, the same duty that, that Jesus mentions the servant saying at the end of the parable itself, will always include an element of forgiveness, even if it involves complexity and pain. And when we forgive by faith in him, that's powerful. 
And it changes dynamics. And it changes lives. See, parables and the actions of the faith and forgiveness mentioned around it, this parable in particular, although this parable and the faith and forgiveness dynamics can be difficult, they show us how to live. In fact, this mini parable speaks to prioritizing Jesus and his pleasure above ours, prioritizing his people above ourselves, and even elevating his name above ours. He's talking about a posture. And the final words where he says that we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty, that is not self-deprecating. That is a statement that declares a mature understanding of purpose and identity. But it also reveals an affection, an affinity, a respect, and a love, even an admiration for the master from the servant. It's a space that reveals identity. And even though on the surface, this parable seems kind of cold, even unkind and potentially unloving, it is, it is not. It, it's not even the point of the parable itself. If we're going to understand it, we need to understand the context, but also dig down into the complex to get to the slow and deep so we can then move back to the simple to apply it. So in understanding this parable, Jesus told this in a pre-Christian Roman culture, and it would have been absolutely unthinkable to thank a servant for serving in that culture. It just wasn't done. A, a servant served. If a servant didn't serve, they weren't a servant. That would be like a door that didn't open. It's not really a door. A, a freezer that didn't keep things frozen or cold is not a freezer. It's just a big metal box. And a servant who doesn't serve the master isn't a servant. But here's the thing. Jesus is not saying we don't need to be kind or grateful. That's not the point. The focus here in this parable is about who we are in front of him. Who we are in front of the master. Who we are leading to what we do. But let's go back to the word servant and go back to the original word which comes out of the Greek, which is doulos. Say that with me, doulos. There you go, good job. Doulos doesn't just mean servant, it more literally means slave. It means bondman or, or man of servile condition. Servile condition is not a term we kind of use in our world, but it specifically is having or showing an excess willingness to serve or please others. So doulos speaks to one who gives himself up to another's will, devoted to another to the disregard of his own interests. Doulos. So Jesus is talking about somebody who prioritizes others more than themselves speaks to purpose and identity, the master and the servant relationship. And the thing about life and parables is that we don't always get to choose the parable that we're living, but we can always choose the person we're going to be in the parable that we're experiencing because we get to choose in the dynamic of who we are. And Jesus is inviting you and I to have that kind of choice here in this parable. Who we're gonna be before the master, before the king of kings and lord of lords, how we're going to live on a daily basis. Now, part of the fast and deep reality of this mini micro parable here is that there is both good news and bad news. There's good news and bad news in this parable. You want to hear them? Okay, the good news is that obedience is a choice. Obedience is a choice. We get to choose. So the good news is obedience is a choice. The bad news is, my friends, obedience is a choice. <laughs> 
We have to choose. See, obedience is a choice, and, and there is a ripple of implication for either way we choose in the issues of obedience. I came across something recently. I thought it was fascinating the way this individual worded it, and I just want to clarify. It helps to clarify the concept, and I want to read a portion of it to you. Here's what they said. They said, discipline, rigor, patience, self-control. Things like dignity, respect, knowledge, and courtesy. Wisdom, ethics, honor, empathy, resilience, honesty, bravery, and kindness. Listen, all of these are real skills, soft skills, learnable skills. But if they're skills, that means that they are decisions, a choice we get to make, even if it's not easy or satisfying in the short term. And that's, that's deep truth. And we can put obedience right at the top of the list. That obedience is a decision. O obedience is a choice. Now, the interesting thing about this is when we put it in the context of relationship with God, there are some nuance to how it all works out. And I want to share that with you. For some of you who've been around Heritage a long time, this may be a bit of a review. And if it is because you've learned it before, then use this time to think about who you're supposed to be sharing this with. And if this is new for you, well, this is going to radically change the way you relate to God. Here's how this works. Love and obedience are two things that are connected. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey. And then he says, if you obey me, you actually love me. If you don't obey me, you don't love me. So love and obedience are connected. And I think we have a sense of this and we try to live this out, but we struggle to connect the two because they're not connected directly in a line like this. They're actually connected around an issue of the heart. It's a heart matter. And it's not even a direct line, it's a cycle that involves two other pieces that involve faith. The first of which is the reality that we can know God. God reveals himself to us. He loves us enough to reveal himself to us. He says, be still and know that I am God. He wants to be known. He reveals himself in scripture. He reveals himself in creation. He reveals himself by the Holy Spirit. So he wants to be known and he can be known. And so he reveals who he is to us. We can know him. But when we know him because he is love, we actually can love. Because he loves us, we can love him. So he who is love makes himself known and therefore we love. We can know him and we can love him. And when we love him, we will trust because scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love always trusts. So if we know God, we will love him. And if we love him, we will trust him. It's a beautiful, simple cycle. And out of trust, well, then we will obey. We will do what he says. So the reality is, is that love is connected to obedience by trust. Now, here's the crazy cool part of this thing. When we obey, he actually allows us to know him more. He shows more of who he is to us so that we can know him more, love him more, trust him more, and obey him more. It's an unending flywheel cycle. This thing never ends unless we mess it up. This is the reality. So, so understand this. Love is connected to obedience by trust, but obedience is connected to love by knowing. And if we don't go from simplistic to complex to simple, we never fully live out this cycle. We can actually know God. Now you can say, okay, Sean, how do we know that this is actually true? Isn't there another way to know God? Isn't there another way to love him? Isn't there another way to, to, to live into obedience? No, this is it. This is how it works in all of scripture. And the way we know this is that Jesus declared it. Listen to this. This is John 14, verse 15. He, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. So he's saying love is connected to obedience, but it comes through trust. 
He goes on to say this in verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So again, he says love and obedience are connected. Then he says the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. So because we obey out of love, we get to know. And knowing leads to loving, to trusting, to obeying. He seals this whole thing off a little bit later in the next few verses down. He says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and he will come to them and and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. This is how Jesus has set it out for how we can know love, know and love. It comes through trust and obeying out of our own actions. So we go back to the diagram for just a moment. The reality is we, we connect love and obedience through trust. This whole thing breaks down here. This is our only responsibility. God reveals himself. He's the source of love. Love inherently trusts. So this only breaks down when we choose not to obey. The moment we say we don't do our duty, the moment we say we deserve something else and don't do what the master says, we break down the ability to know him. And it all falls apart. When we don't obey, it means we don't trust. When we don't trust, it means we don't love. When we don't love, it means we don't really know. This thing runs on a flywheel unending until you and I choose not to obey. But every time we choose to obey, it leads to some deeper level of understanding and reality of relationship with God in our lives. It's an unending cycle if we will step in obedience. That's how we know him. A.W. Tozer said something pretty profound that ties back to this. He said, to know him is to love him and to know him better is to love him more. Listen, if we don't obey, we won't know him. He does reveal enough that we can step in love and trust, but the moment we choose not to obey, we don't really know. He wants to reveal, but he only reveals through obedience. Are you tracking this? It's incredibly important because to understand this principle and to tie it back to the parable helps to understand the fast and deep reality of it. See, we are created by him and for him. And to be used by God is a privilege that ought to lead us to humility, not to some kind of entitlement not to some kind of thing that we're owed. And the parable itself pushes on self-esteem, it pushes on identity, it pushes on pride, yet in no way is it diminishing or implying a lack of value for you and me. It is doing the exact opposite. Rather, it's affirming the priority of obedience because of our inherent value to him. Inherent value. But sadly, obedience is in short supply, which actually makes it all the more valuable to God when you find someone who's willing to obey. When you find someone who's willing to say, I will step in obedience, I will do my duty. It's incredibly valuable because it's in short supply. Now, I realize we can all drift in our relationship with God. We can kind of wander from that kind of connections. And, and every time that that has happened in my life, it has always landed in regret. Anytime we drift from God is where we're not connecting, we're not obeying, then we don't really know him. We don't even know what to do. We get stuck. And many, if not all of us, in our journey have often wanted to be served more than to serve. And if any of that is applicable to you, if you have found yourself in that space, even find yourself in that space now, I want you to understand this simple reality that wandering from your purpose does not remove your purpose. Wandering from our God-given created purpose does not remove that God-given created purpose. It's still there. You can still come back. Just obey. 
Just do what he says, follow his instructions. Your value is still there. He is master, you are servant, but he calls you into a space that you can come back and wandering from your purpose does not remove the purpose. Now we're actually gonna dig much deeper into this next week as we hit our last parable and wrap up the parable series. It happens to be one of my favorite parables. Don't miss it next week. We're gonna go deeper in this reality. But I actually wanna go back to the mini micro parable we're looking at today. I want to go back through it. I want to read it again, but I want to invite you to, to listen in with the lens of what we've been talking about, the things that have stuck or God's stirring in your heart through Holy Spirit. Maybe it's about knowing, loving, trusting, and obeying. Maybe it's about moving from simplistic to complex to actually simple in application. Maybe it actually ties back to just the, the choice, the, the choice to obey. But I want to read back through this passage again, and I want you to listen in after, out of what we've just been talking about. So here we go back into Luke 17. Suppose one of you has a servant, Dulos, plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant, when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? No, he's not going to do that. That's outside the job scope. That, that's outside the nature of the relationship. Verse 8, won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get, get, re- get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. And again, my friends, we feel like that seems cold and unkind and even unloving, but it's proper order. It comes out of purpose and identity and even out of previous commitment. So in verse 9, will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? No. No, it's his job. It's his responsibility. So verse 10, so, and that's a transitional word. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, that is you have obeyed out of love, knowing, loving, trusting, and obeying, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Fast and deep. So what? So what? Now listen, we ask this question nearly every week. It's not just out of repetition because we think it's like something we have to do. We ask it because we know we need to do it so we don't become a servant who doesn't serve. If we don't ask the question after reading scripture on our own or studying together, how now shall we live? If we don't move to simple from complex or simplistic, we can become a servant who doesn't serve. We don't ever want that. We want to move to the simple. We want to move to the accessible. So what? Oh, hear me. Listen. Obedience is table stakes. Don't play poker. Let me say that differently. (laughs) Obedience is a starting point. Obedience is minimal. Obedience is entry. It's duty. If you want to know God fuller, you want to know the fullness of God. You want to experience his full favor and his blessing. You want to understand who you are in front of him. Then obey. Choose to be faithful because when you are faithful, he shows more of who he is to you. Obedience is a choice. You want to experience the fullness of God. Step in doing what he says. And don't do what he says not to do. Obedience is the make or break reality. Now here's what I want to do. I want to give us three handholds that allow us to assess and live into obedience even this week. Just three things that give us some handholds to do that. The first thing is to know who you serve. Know who you serve. This is a relational dynamic to understand 
who you serve. The reality is it comes out of knowing who we are and who we love. And in life, we all serve someone or something. The question is who? Who do we love? Who do we serve? We need to know who we serve. And we should be smart enough or patient enough to line it up to who we are created to serve and to see if we're there where we should be. I already, again, said that we are created by him and for him. So do you serve him? Do you serve him in everything, in every way, in every day as best you can out of what you understand from simplistic to complex to simple? Would people who look at your life be able to know the answer to that question? Know who you serve. We should be serving him out of who he is, master, and us as servant, doulos. Are you? And I want to caution something about this master-servant dynamic because I know there's a tendency within us as humans. Master-servant communicates authority. That is not the only metaphor by which we relate to God. We are all beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God. Master-servant speaks to authority. Son and daughter speaks more relationally. They are both true. It's both and. I don't want you to lose sight of the relational love that is present from a father to a beloved son or daughter while you process master and servant. He loved you so much, he sent his son Jesus to die for you and me so that we can be in relationship with him, so we can know and love and trust and obey. Don't lose sight of the relational component amidst the authority component we're talking about in this parable. But know who you serve. Know who you serve, master, servant. And if it's not him, if it's not him in a sliver of your life, I challenge you to give him it all. Withhold nothing, it's your duty. Step in full obedience to know him. How we know him is connected to how we serve him. Not in performance, but out of love. We'll get to that in a second because it leads us into the next reality, that as we know who we serve, we wanna keep his interests first. His desires, his priorities, his interests first. Jesus mentioned, I mentioned earlier, how Jesus described the servant, and when he described the servant, he was really describing someone who was showing a mature understanding of purpose and identity, as well as giving indication to a level of admiration, respect, and, and even love for the master. Even though on the surface of the parable, it seems kind of cold and unloving and just kind of formal. But the perspective of the servant is key because a servant can function out of fear or out of love. And if we choose to function as a servant out of fear, the weight and pressure of performance will fracture the relationship. But if we choose primarily to serve out of love, demonstrated in trust and obedience, well then we will flourish and thrive in a desire to daily please the master. Don't live out of fear, live out of love. And love comes from knowing, and it's demonstrated in obeying. This actually sets us up to fully understand how we wanna be a faithful and obedient servant by doing the next right thing. To do the next right thing, wherever you are, whatever is before you, there is a next right thing. My friends, do it. Just, just do it, step by faith. 
knowing, loving, trusting, and obeying, risk in obedience, walk in faithfulness. He will be faithful to you. Just step in obedience, do the next right thing. And as you process what that might be, as you prayerfully consider, man, what is my right next step? Listen, there are people to forgive. There are great works to be done. There is much work to do by people who will be willing to obey. Humble servants who do their duty out of love, not fear. Listen, knowing how to step into the fullness of relationship with God is connected to our willingness to obey. And as you know who you serve, as you keep his interests first, and as you do the next right thing, you experience the fullness of God in your life. We go back to that cycle that we've been talking about. Love is connected to obedience by trust. And obedience is connected to love by knowing him. You cannot know him if you don't obey him. But as you obey, you can know him fuller and deeper. It's connected to a choice. And whatever your next right step is, step into it. This is, this is a cycle of thriving. The person who lives in this thrives. So where are you lacking in this? Or where are you even lacking in this dynamic? The person who stays at the shallow doesn't fully understand. The person who hangs so deep that it has no application never really lives out in obedience what they understand. Be a person who embraces the simple truth of who God is and who we are before him, master, servant, out of love, not fear, and choose to obey. In obedience, we experience the fullness of God. Simplistic, we're here to obey. We're, we are to obey. Complex, if we don't obey, we don't get to know God. The simple is, obedience is a choice. And obedience leads to knowing. And knowing leads to loving. And loving leads to trusting. And trusting leads to obeying. I want to end our time today by reading Ephesians 3 as a prayer. I think it captures the components of what we've been talking about today. But as you process where you're at in this journey and who you are before him and who you're serving and the realities of whether you have his interests first and what is your right next step, I want you to listen in and, and prayerfully seek him to speak to you and to show you more of who he is as you walk in relationships. So would you pray with me? For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every, heaven, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. amen.